like to greet all of you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. This is afternoon, isn't it? I'm still to catch up with time. For me, darkness is associated with evening. And it looks fairly dark out there. Last night was very wonderful. The creativity, the coordination, I enjoyed the way the Jesus story was told in simple, simple, everyday language. How Joseph struggled the same way a young man would struggle in 21st century, learning that the woman that you love has just fallen pregnant in a way that you do not understand. How Liz spoke about Zach in very contemporary language. I work with young people in universities and we disciple young people. And one of the amazing things is how much we want to complicate the gospel message. And sometimes we set it up there in a way that people do not grasp it. I think it is Spurgeon who says sometimes we forget that Jesus said, feed my lambs. We pitch it up there as if he said, feed my giraffes. <laughs> it is a no-brainer that if you pitch it up there, yeah. yes, the giraffe may get it, but it is not the giraffes that need this feeding. Yeah. So thank you very much. And also to see the young and the old coming together to tell this gospel message, it was so amazing. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I'm very much happy to be here and to, to be with friends, Pastor Farai and his wife. And I also just discovered another friend and long-time sister at the back. Would you like to wave your hand? Thank you. And it is very good to see all of you and to, to enjoy God's presence together. Christmas is always an exciting time. When I grew up, Christmas was always about food. You get new clothing. There are some groceries that are bought on that particular day. You get to invite friends to come over to eat with you. So Christmas was always about food and joy and rejoicing. But in most cases, we missed the reason for the season. Why were we gathering together to celebrate? And when you look at our world today, it's about consumerism. It's, about, it's the same thing, really. It's about taking a break from work. It's about taking a holiday and be home. But we never pause like we did yesterday to reflect on the reason for the celebration. What is the reason for the season? But again, for those of us, we pause to celebrate Christ and we most probably know the reason why we are celebrating Christmas. We look at Christmas as an isolated story. We look at Christmas, we celebrate it, and we put a, boom, a big full stop. Nothing happens after Christmas. So we only look at the first advent of Christ. So for most of us, Christ remains that little baby in the manger. Christ remains, so the Christmas story 
of God's story begins with the angel coming to Mary, we may connect it back to a few prophecies like we did with Micah yesterday and maybe go a little bit to Jeremiah, go back to Isaiah, and then it ends with the story of the shepherds coming to bow down and to give gifts to the king, and we put a big full stop there. But if this story is to make meaning and transform our lives, we need to see it as part of a bigger story. We need not only to look at the first advent of Jesus who comes as a baby, as a helpless baby, but we know that he grew and hence we have the Easter Sunday story, the Good Friday, the Easter Sunday story. We know that death does not have the final word. Yeah. We know that pain does not have the final say. Yeah. But again, we need to look beyond that. You remember 40 days of being with his disciples, with many proofs showing them that he had risen, you remember the final discussion and conversation on Mount Olive. Mm. Jesus is taken up to heaven, and the disciples remain looking there, and they are asking themselves a lot of serious questions. We thought this is the guy who finally was going to beat the Roman government. Yeah. We thought this is the guy who was going to restore the kingdom to the Jewish people. We thought this was the Messiah, and this conversation of despondence or dis dis discouragement, you see it by those two disciples, Clopas and another friend, on the road to Emmaus. Mm. We thought, we thought, we thought, we thought. Mm. And as they are gazing up to heaven, an angel appears to them and tells them, you men of Galilee, this same Jesus you are seeing going to heaven the same way and praise God for, for the lady senior citizen, very senior citizen who came to testify here and to see people like you living in the glorious expectation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Glory to God. So what I'm going to be talking to you about today is what happens between the two advents. Right. We have the first advent, Jesus comes in a manger. He comes, this is our Christmas story. But our story shouldn't end there. Our story should continue. And we speak about the second advent, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is to point you to the future. Yes, we need to look backwards, but if all that we do in our Christian journeys is looking backwards, we're not going to make any meaningful impact in our environment or in our community. So we need to start looking forward and ask very critical questions. How do we live as Christians today as the people of tomorrow? So if you ask me to define a Christian, a Christian for me is not a conservative. But a conservative lives in the past. A conservative place maintenance, but a person is a person of the future, a person of tomorrow. Amen. I will invite you to come with me to one of these wonderful letters by St. Paul, Romans chapter 13, and we are reading verses 8 to 14. This is what Paul says. Let not death remain outstanding, Accept the continuing debt to, to love one another. For whoever loves others 
fulfills, he has fulfilled the law, the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, not, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Amen. The night is already over. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Yeah. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Amen. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Shall we pray together? Thank you, dear Lord, that we have yet another opportunity to experience God's amazing grace in this place at the amazing grace, grace parish. Thank you, Lord, that you broke into history and you came into your world. It's very difficult to understand this amazing love that God would leave his throne in heaven. God will leave all worship and glorification and be born of a woman and walk the dusty streets of Palestine and suffer rejection and be subjected to all kinds of humiliation only to serve me, only to serve us. This kind of love we do not understand. We may never fully understand it, but we are forever grateful. So when you look back at the Christmas story, we celebrate joy to the world, for the Savior is born. But also as we look forward, we cry out aloud, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The Lord who is going to reconcile everything to himself, God who is going to put everything under his Messiah. As David looked down the corridor of time, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You're going to gather everything under Christ. And we look forward to that great day, the second advent, when we shall see Christ in all his glory, not as a baby in the manger, but Christ in all his glory at the blowing of the trumpets, and we shall be caught up with you. But as we live in between now and the second coming, help us to work it out. What does living a practical Christian life look like as we wait for the second advent? Lord, we pray, may we meet you in the scriptures and may you feed us. You are the bread of life. Satisfy all our hungers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is one of the biggest questions that Paul is addressing 
as he's writing to the church at Rome. As you read this scripture, there is some kind of tension that you find there, especially when you look at verse 11. There is a sense in which Paul is saying something has already happened. But also there is a sense in which Paul says something is near, something is at hand. When he talks of time, he says the hour has already come. But also when you keep reading, he will tell you that it is nearer, it is at hand. What has happened? Christ has come. Christ has shown us his light in his world. Christ has made us into new creation. We have believed in him. If a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are new. But this is the biggest challenge. We live so much in an environment that is so much accustomed with darkness and a lot of activity relating to darkness. And this will be something similar to the Roman society that Paul is writing to. The Christians were such a small minority, and in some of our communities, we are such a small minority. Mm. The darkness around us is so much huge that it threatens to swallow the little light that we have. For some of us, we need to be singing every day, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Otherwise, it feels like it's getting extinguished or blown out because of this so much deep darkness around us. The people who live around us, sometimes they do not understand us. And sometimes we do not understand ourselves either. And we do not know how we ought to live in order to embrace this new reality that we have in Christ Jesus. Mm. When you look at the Acts of the Apostles, as a lot of people began to come to faith, the Apostles also struggled. How is this new reality in Christ expressed? How do we share this community in which we are a minority, but we have embraced this new reality in Christ. For some of them, it meant going back to obey the law, to live under the law again. For the disciples, this would have been convenient because those who were called righteous among them were Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were known on top of God's commandment for adding many additional layers. For example, the commandment, thou shalt rest on Sabbath. They will add many requirements on that to try and define what does work look like, what does work not look like. For instance, they will even calculate the distance you needed to travel to the synagogue to avoid you working on Sabbath. (laughs) So if you stayed, say, as an example, just for argument's sake, you stayed within, say, outside the 50 kilometer radius of the synagogue, you needed to make sure before sunset on Friday, you slept either at the synagogue or at a friend's house within 10 kilometer distance of the synagogue. So these were considered very righteous men. Some of them, when you look into, into history, some of them were wounded or they were bruised 
Pharisees. And the more bruised they were, the more righteous they were. Yeah. For instance, if I am a Pharisee and I saw a woman walking in my direction, because I'm so holy, and my sisters will bear with me, I'm just explaining history, and they saw women as a source of contamination. So a God-fearing Pharisee would then close his eyes so that as this woman is passing by, he's not looking at this woman. So they are bound to hit themselves against objects, and hence the name used Pharisees. Those bruises became trophies of righteousness. But what does it mean for this new community that Christ is building around himself? When you read Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, the same one on the mountain, part of Jesus' effort to define what does the new community in Christ looks like, Jesus surprises his disciples by saying these words. He says, for I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you were Peter, if you were John, sitting around Jesus, and you know the caliber of the people that Jesus is talking about, these are the guys who are up there in the ladder of holiness in the community, and Jesus says, your own righteousness must surpass the standard that these guys have set. I do not know how many of you follow, follow, follow sporting activities. Think of Bolt, that athlete who, who broke all athletics records. And somebody comes to tell you that unless you can compete and break every record, that boat has broken, do not consider yourself an athlete. And this is just what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And we see Paul advancing the same discussion here, and therefore I'm going to share with you three exhortations of being in Christ and waiting for the second advent of Christ. How does that look like? The first one, friends, is that Paul exhorts us or encourages us to a deeper sense of righteousness. When we talk about righteousness, we're talking about right standing or right living before God. When Jesus says your righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees, the Pharisees, for them to be in a right standing with God, it meant just ticking boxes. I'll tick this box, I didn't work on Sabbath, I must be closer to God. I paid my tithe, and I guess most of you do, I must be closer to God. I fasted three days a week, they take the box, I must be closer to God. But you realize, when you read the Old Testament prophets, when they were proclaiming that Israel was going to go into captivity, it was not absence of religious activity, but God was going to punish his people. In fact, the temple was still a very busy place. They would come to do their sacrifices. 
men still honored God's requirement that three times a year they will appear in the temple. For the feast of the Passover, for Tabernacles, for Pentecost, they must appear, for the feast of Booth, they must appear three times in the year. The priests were still busy, occupied with religious activity. But when you read much of the prophets, they will tell you, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. My friends, right living with God is not about religious activity. It's about a relationship. Christianity, the best way I can define Christianity is that it is a love relationship. All of us have been in love at some point in our lives. Some of us are still in love. Some of us could have suffered heartbreaks. But Christianity is no heartbreaking love relationship. All right. All right. Christianity is not about legalism. So living for Christ, living in between the two advents, Paul invites us to a higher and deeper level of righteousness, and he calls it love. Amen. Amen. He says, if you think of all the law, it is summed up in one way. There is this young lawyer who comes to Jesus at one, at, at one of his teachings, and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells him about all this law. This young man ticked all the boxes. Yeah. He ticked them. He had distinctions in keeping the law. Yeah. But Jesus sums it. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah. So the first part of this love relationship is the acknowledgement that Jesus loved us, and this is the Christmas love story we were talking about yesterday. And we do love him back. Amen. Hallelujah. All that Jesus expects of us is that we love him in return. He loved us. And we cannot understand love until we look at what Jesus did for us. He loved you and me. As we were. Jesus didn't give you pre-qualifying conditions. You must have obeyed this amount of laws. You must have done this amount of good works before you can qualify to come into this relationship with me. When you look at the Gospels, my friends, you see Jesus, especially the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus around the tables with those from outside the margins. Yeah. The tax collectors. Yeah. Praise God. Some of you brought your non-Christian friends last night. The prostitutes. You see them at Jesus' table. Jesus doesn't give them pre-qualifying conditions before they can be admitted at the table. You walk around town, you see certain restaurants who tell you admission is reserved. But the admission at the Lord's table is not reserved. It is love that pursues us regardless of who we are. So our first primary duty is to love the Lord. But when we love the Lord, naturally, 
That love extends to our neighbor. Amen. There was a question that was asked, what does it mean to have abundant life? And there was a very interesting answer that was given. When I extend my hand to touch another life, my life overflows to them. For me, that was a very profound way of explaining the outworking of God's love in our lives. There is no way that Jesus would touch me with his love and I fail to touch others with Christ's love. And listen to this. When it comes to debt, we want to pay our debts and finish them. Who wants to remain in debt? Nobody. I want to know that I've paid Pastor Farai Maposa what I owe him and I don't owe Pastor Farai Maposa. And sometimes I may even draft a document and I want him to sign that I owe you, you owe me no more. Yeah. And he puts his signature. But Paul says, no ways. This Christian relationship is an ongoing love debt. Yes. It's an ongoing love debt. Tough luck for those who want to be in zero debt. <laughs> it's an ongoing love debt. He keeps loving me, I keep loving him back. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. I will never love Christ enough for me to say it's over. Mm. Jesus, it's over. I've done enough for a lifetime to love you. He loves me, I keep loving him back. But also, because he loves me, I keep loving him back. I keep loving my neighbor. Some of the reason why our neighbors and also our friends, our colleagues at work, our university's colleagues and classmates may not come to Christ is because we have never learned to extend God's love to them. There is the concept of friendship evangelism. Maybe let me say love evangelism. How much do we love God's creation? For us, we are so selective. We want to play God and we decide who is lovable and who is not lovable. But remember God, when he reigns, his reign, it is both on the righteous and the wicked. When his sunshine comes out, when good weather comes out, good weather doesn't select. It is both on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And when you go with me to share deeper also on the implication of this love and the love story, when you read Romans chapter 1 verse 14, Paul uses the same word obligation, continuing obligation, the same way he uses in chapter, in chapter, in chapter 13. And he says these words, I am obligated to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. If you keep reading with me, he will say to you, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Part of loving our neighbor, as we mentioned yesterday, is not withholding anything that is good to your neighbor yeah. or from your neighbor. Mm. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. 
It is a criminal offense, I believe, I don't know in this country, but I would like to think it is a criminal offense that I go to the doctor to seek medical attention and the doctor withholds vital medical information that will make a difference in my life. Mm. I would like to think that would be a criminal offense, offense under this jurisdiction. Part of loving your neighbor, part of having an ongoing debt to your neighbor, like Paul says, is not to withhold the good news. Amen. Paul says, I am obligated. I owe them. So when I share the good news with my neighbor, I'm not doing them a favor. I'm just paying the debt. When I share the gospel with the guy sitting with me on the train, I'm not doing them a favor. I am obligated. Mm. Mm. This is the new thinking, my friends, as we live between the Christmas and the coming back of Jesus. Mm. Love is at the center of our lives. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. We love God because he loved us. We didn't initiate it. He loved us. We love him back. We love his people. Yeah. And even environmental stewardship, issues also from our salvation position in God. Mm. We love God. He loved us. We love his creation. We take care of his creation. Mm. Mm. So the gospel touches every aspect of your life. Encouragement number two. As we live between the two advents, Paul makes this bold invitation. He invites his hearers to a decent lifestyle. Mm. I'm saying this is a bold invitation because the Roman society of this time is so much used to wild parties, wild drinking, drinking competition, Sexual perversion and lots of other things. This was Rome of the time. Just like Corinth. To play Corinth meant to be sexually immoral. It became a city, a custom, because Rome is a very big city. There are many trade routes passing through Rome. So there are many cultures coming to meet together in Rome. And Paul says, and this is very correct, one of the cultural practices was drunkenness, parties. And Paul says, I'm inviting you, as you wait for the second advent, to a decent lifestyle. Paul lists a number of things that he says, these are the works of darkness. And he says, I'm inviting you to works of light. Mm. He says, it is still night, but the day is approaching. The night is almost over. When you read with me in verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So in other words, he says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime. Mm. Paul is saying, it's not yet day, but because you guys are Christians, 
must dress as if it is daytime. One good image is that for me is like at night we put on our pajamas. But Paul says, wake up, put on your suits. Because the day is almost near. This is why we are so such strange people in our cultures as Christians. People look at us and say, look, they are so different. But we won't be different if we are putting pajamas just like they are putting on pajamas. Paul says, it may not be day now, but live as a people of the future. Your king is the king of the day. He's going to inaugurate the kingdom of the day where there will be no more darkness, no more anything. So why don't you start practicing living as if it is the day? How many of you would like to go to heaven? Why don't you start practicing living the heaven life today? This is what Paul is saying to them. Yeah. The night is not yet over. It's almost over. But put off the works of darkness and put on the works of light. Live like a people of the light. When you look at the pair of sins that Paul lists there, there is a a way that there is some sequency and connection there. When you look at verse, verses 13 with me, he talks of parting and getting drunk. Most of the sins are just a perversion of God's gift. Where people take it to excesses. For instance, sexuality is God's gift. But people take it to extreme by perverting it and expressing it in in many different extreme ways, bestiality, homosexuality, and many other ways. Paul says those are the works of darkness. So when, when we get drunk, when we do parting and get drunk, Paul says then there is sleeping around and obscene behavior. Once you go on that downward spiral, it's very difficult to bring it to a stop. Then don't start it. I grew up knowing that you don't start a war that you cannot finish. You don't start, you walk away. Paul says, those are the works of darkness. We are the children of light. So the encouragement number two, we must live decent lives. Though it is still night, we are to live as the people of the day. And this is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mountain would say, you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Our light is to shine out in a dark community that we are in. Let them see God's light in us. We don't light a light and put it under a table. No. We put it on top of the table so that it can light, give light to people. And this is what Paul is inviting us to live like as we wait for the second advent. The third invitation is an invitation to an, a more intimate relationship with Christ. When you read verse 14 with me, Paul says, Rather, you clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
In other words, what this suggests is that there are people who do not sleep thinking about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. They are always creating new ways and inventing, inventing new ways. And don't think that you have heard the last most evil way and wicked way how people want to gratify the flesh. Most probably a long ago, a sexual perversion scene would have been extramarital affair or adultery. But then there were people who did adultery so much that they, they were no longer satisfied with adultery and they said, how do we devise a new way of gratifying an additional need that is arising? Because every time you satisfy a current need, an additional need arises. Yeah. For those of who are in school, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, isn't it? Yeah. So a more superior need will arise once need A is satisfied. Yeah. There will be need B that needs to be satisfied. You meet need B, there will be need C that needs gratification as well. Yeah. So there are people then, adulter was not enough, then maybe homosexuality might satisfy our additional need. Homosexuality was not enough. Maybe bestiality, an animal also must choose who it wants to love, who it wants to have relations with. But Paul says we are different. We are to clothe Christ. And Paul loves this image in his writing, this figure of speech in his writings. When you read Ephesians, when you read Colossians, he talks about putting off the old man in order to put on the new man. When I grew up, Christmas was the time when you got new clothes. And mommy made sure that if all the year you were not taking a proper long bath, I normally take an Olympic record holder bath. <laughs> this is what my daughters say about my bathing span, my, my the time I spend in the bathroom. They'll say you beat anyone at bathing Olympics. If you took an Olympic bath or a passport-sized bath, from January to December, came December 24, and mommy knew that there was a new pair of clothing in the wardrobe waiting for you. She would tell you you have not bathed enough. Even if she sent you 10 times to bath, you will do it. Because you want to put on new clothes. For me, Christianity, friends, as Paul looks at it, this Christian relationship, as we live in between and expecting his coming, is to put on Christ. Right. When we put on Christ, we are coming under his shade, we are coming under his cover. In other words, we are 100% submitting to him. When you look at celebrities, they've got shops that dress them. Mm. They are not just dressed by shop A and they feel like they want to go to shop B. They sign contracts with designer labels. Yeah. You know that this celebrity wears this designer line of clothing. But there are some confused celebrities in the kingdom circles. Today they are wearing this label, tomorrow they are putting on another label. The next day you meet with them, they are putting on a different label. Paul says you've got no choice. If you want this kind of life, there is one designer label that you have to put on. And that designer label is called Christ. It is called Christ. I've got 
two daughters and they give me a huge headache when I travel. They'll tell me, I want you to buy this and I buy it and the next thing they'll say, what is the level? <laughs> but I told them, clothing is for covering. Wait a minute. They say, no, it's more than that. Yes. <laughs> what label are you carrying? Right. Because again, I advertise the label that I carry. So what label are you carrying? That label defines who you are, but also you advertise that label. Who are you advertising in your community? My dear friends, as I conclude, Christ has come, we have celebrated Christmas, but that is not the end of the story. The world celebrated Christmas so much that they forgot conveniently that there was another coming. Mm -hmm. If we remember that there is another coming, that has implications on how we live today. And Paul says we must be people of love. We must love God because he loved us. We are loving him back. I'll invite praise and worship to come. We must love God. He loved us. But we must also love our neighbor. It's an ongoing debt of love. But also part of loving God's people or God's creation is not withholding the good news from them. Paul says, I'm obligated both to the Jews and to the Greek. Number two, to live in expectation of Christ's return is to live distant lives. The world around us is so indecent. It has cast off restraint. It is. But Paul says we need to be able to still draw boundaries. Men and women who are able to draw boundaries and say, this one I'm not going to step over. This is the boundary. Paul invites us to put on Christ. And this is why Paul will say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is why the great apostle would say, the life that I live today is not my own. Whose life are you living today? Are you ready for his coming? I'd like you to stand up with me as we think through these things. We are living on the horizon of his second coming. Our salvation is nearer than when we first began. Paul says, let our lives be shaped by the reality, that reality of Christ's coming. Let our lives reflect the Lord of the new day, the one we are longing for. So we pray together. Thank you for your love. Yes. We did not deserve it. We were running away from you. Right from the days of Adam. But you kept chasing after us. And you found us. And you reconciled us with God. 
We can only love you, Lord. We love you back only because you loved us. And you, you tore apart the handwriting that condemned us. The law that we couldn't keep. And you pointed us to your love. Because when we love you, we will not have other gods to worship. And you pointed us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. As we do that, we will fulfill the law. Help us to live decent lives as we wait for your coming. Help us to clothe Christ. When people look at us, Let's see, let them see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let them see Christ enthroned. Let them see Christ glorified in our lives. Let them see our lives submitted to your Lordship, every area of our lives. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.